0: This morning will be from Peter chapter 2. If you find that, you can stand, and I'll read First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> Servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if, for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being obedient to your Father in all things, coming into this world, living as a man, and giving yourself to the disobedient, to the rebellious. We thank you that you set for us, Lord, the example that the way of yieldedness and submission, surrender, and obedience is life because the commands of God are all life. So we pray again as we look at your word this morning that you would just speak to our hearts, that we would hear you, and that we would yield to you in faith. In obedience. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I appreciate John standing in for me last week. I was under the weather a bit with the cold and stuff that's been going around, so it did me some good to just get a little extra sleep and try and knock that back. We've been in 1 um, Peter now for a little while, and now we're in chapter 2, and Beginning back in verse 13, the subject has moved toward submission, one of our most favorite words in the English vocabulary, right? Submit. It's learning obedience, and it's displaying our obedience to Christ in part in how we obey and submit to the authorities that God has put into our lives. We all know that you never have to teach a child to disobey, but we have to spend a lot of time teaching him to obey to submit, to yield, to not always have to have his opinion expressed or his will um, yielded to. But he has to learn to yield his will. There's a great time in every child's life, or at least most children's lives, when they will do anything they are told. It's a real, very short window. (laughs) Usually around the time they're about three years old. And I remember telling my three-year-old nephew on more than one occasion at the dinner table to crawl under the table and go down to his dad and bite him on the leg. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I was sitting at the dinner table, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was bitten on the leg. (laughs) My grandson, three years old, was told by his uncle... Weston, go under the table and bite your daddy on the leg. And the obedient, dutiful child that he is, he bit me right on the leg. I can't even recline in my lazy boy recliner and watch TV with my grandchildren around because they will bite my toes. I cannot doze off. They just get this big, mischievous grin on their face and they open up their mouth and they start going, ah, wonderful kids, yeah. Yeah. Someone once said, if you're going to tell people the truth, make them laugh, or they will kill you. <laughs> so that's about all the humor I have for today. <laughs> this is not a fun, easy subject, submission. And ever, whenever we venture into this subject, we, one of the first things that comes to mind is the what-ifs. What about this situation? What if this is happening? But. And one of the reasons that this passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 18, is so unpopular is there is not any what-if even suggested. There is no but presented. Now, we could It'd be a great Bible study to go through Scripture and we can look at the what-ifs and the buts. Back in verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And we think, "But, Daniel's three friends didn't bow down, but the Egyptian midwives didn't do as they were said, and we can think about some exceptions, and there are those exceptions. And it is our human tendency because we hate submission. As soon as the subject comes up, is to be thinking about the what ifs, the buts. And I have to tell you, this passage doesn't have them. So we're in this passage today, and it won't be fun. Verse 18 Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. The largest percentage of the Roman population was slaves. So let me tell you about slavery under the Roman Empire to put some context to this. Slaves were not allowed to marry, but they cohabited. And the children born of such a partnership were the property of the master, not of the parents. Just as the lambs born to the sheep belonged to the owner of the flock and not to the sheep. Can you imagine living like that? Your children do not belong to you. You have no jurisdiction whatsoever over their lives. In Roman law, a slave was not a person, but a thing. There were no employer, I'm I'm sorry, employee rights. There were no worker rights. A slave was not even a person. He had absolutely no legal rights whatsoever. For that reason, there could be no such thing as justice where a slave was concerned. He could not say, I am being treated unjustly, because there is no justice. There is no such thing. Justice does not apply to a slave. We can't even comprehend that. Aristotle writes, there can be no friendship nor justice toward inanimate things. Indeed, not even towards a horse or an ox, nor yet toward a slave as a slave. For master and slave have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool, just as a tool is an inanimate slave. Varro divides the instruments of agriculture into three classes. The articulate, the inarticulate, and the mute. The articulate comprising the slave's the inarticulate comprising the cattle, and the mute comprising the vehicles. The only difference between a slave and a beast or a farmyard cart was that the slave happened to be able to talk. Peter Chrysalis, Chrysalis, sums up the matter, whatever a master does to a slave, undeservedly, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, In forgetfulness, after careful thought, knowingly, unknowingly, it is judgment, justice, and law. In regard to a slave, his master's will and even his master's caprice was the only law. And apparently Peter thinks, that doesn't change when you become a Christian. Wow. Wow. So not only was the servant to be submissive to his master, he was to do so respectfully, with all respect. Peter will—I'm I'm, sorry—Paul will add to this a bit more in Ephesians chapter six, verse five: Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as as to the Lord and not to men. Have a good attitude when you submit to unreasonable masters who don't even regard you as being a person. Wow. We would just go get another job as we can. We're not slaves. We're employees. But most of the Roman Empire did not have that option. They were slaves. They were born slaves and they were going to die slaves. And Both Peter and Paul say, submit with a good attitude and with all respect. You can see where this is going. If a slave a Christian slave who, by the way, according to 1 Peter, he is part of a royal priesthood (coughs) and he is God's own possession. He is valuable in the sight of God. But to his earthly master, he is not even a person. He may be mean, he may be kind, but that man is to be treated with respect and to obey be obeyed as obedience to God served well. You don't spit in his soup. You don't pilfer from his money. You don't cheat him. You don't speak behind his back. And that would have been tough. Think about how much just backbiting goes on today, even by Christians concerning their employers. Well, they would never say to their face what they say behind their back. And you know what Paul and Peter would say about that. There is no place for that. Submit with all respect, with a good attitude, as unto the Lord. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. I don't know whether Philemon was a good slave master or not. He was a believer. I kind of think that maybe he wasn't that good toward his slaves because one of them ran away, Onesimus. He ended up running to Paul. He liked Paul, apparently. And maybe he went to Paul to complain to Paul, because he knew Paul had a position of respect with, with Philemon, and he could appeal to Paul and say, Paul, can you do something about my unreasonable master? And Paul did what every good counselor would do, is he said, let's talk about you and Jesus. And Onesimus didn't know Christ. And Paul said, your big problem in life, Onesimus, is not Philemon. It is not the fact that you're a slave. Your big problem in life is that you don't know Jesus. And you need to come under him. And Onesimus gave his life to Christ. He was gloriously saved. <laughs> he goes, I'm a free man. And Paul says, yes, you're free from your sin. But not from your obligations. I'm sending you back. You've got to be kidding me. Wouldn't that have been a great news to hear as a brand new Christian who just ran away from your master? And you've come to Jesus and now you think you've got some standing and some right? And the one who led you to Christ says you are more obligated now, not less obligated. More obligated to submit. More obligated to have a good attitude. More obligated to demonstrate Christ, the submissive one, to your master. Go back. And he did And Paul wrote to Philemon and said, showing some kindness. Forgive anything he's done. Charge it to my account. Wonderful letter. Lamentations has an interesting statement. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 27. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. The yoke is a place of submission. Jesus said, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, come to me and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. It's a place of surrender, a place of submission. You cannot exercise your own will and be in a yoke. And if you were the smaller of the two ox, (laughs) you were even in a greater place of subservience, right? Because that other ox is going to have his way. You had no will, no say. I think one of the hardest things to come to in prayer is to truly in our hearts be able to say, Lord, not my will be done, but thy will be done. To give up our will. Because it is a place of taking on his yoke, whatever it would be. It's hard to learn that at any time in life. It's not easy to begin to learn it older at, when you are older in life. There are too many Christians who have never learned to submit. How do you know? They're always complaining, always murmuring. That's an indication of a heart that is not surrendered. They can't work with other people. They can't be an employee. They always have to be an employer or work on their own. They've never learned to come under. Life goes hard when you have not learned to yield. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. What is the yoke that Jeremiah is talking about in Lamentations? Context matters. I want to read these verses here at the first part of Jeremiah 3. So We think, well, the yoke is just the yoke of being somebody's employee. It's much worse than that. Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I am the man, Jeremiah speaking of himself, who has seen affliction. This is the yoke, a yoke of affliction. Because of the rod of God's wrath, he has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. "'Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. "'He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. "'He has broken my bones. "'He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. "'In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. "'He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. "'He has made my chain heavy.' Even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows out of his quiver to enter into my inward parts." I have become a laughing stock to all my people, their mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness, and he has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust, and my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. It is good for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. Who wants that kind of yoke? That is the yoke that God put on Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said it's good. The part of Jeremiah 3 that we all think of begins in verse 22. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently in the context of everything that's happening for the this, for this salvation of the Lord. And then it is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. what does it look like when we are bearing the yoke? Verse 28, let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. There's no place for crumbling, no place for complaining. Let him put his mouth in the dust, perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. And then later in verse 39, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? People treat us badly, employers can abuse us, they can be harsh, unreasonable, they can even be cruel. but they will never treat us as we deserve. And I think that's what Jeremiah is saying. How can any living man offer complaint in view of his sins? There is nothing that your employer is doing to you that comes close to what you deserve. Because we deserve hell. That's what Jeremiah is getting at. And if God decides to put a heavy yoke on us, we have no right to complain. No one bore a heavier yoke than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was innocent. And he bore the yoke of our sin and the penalty for that sin. Back to 1 Peter. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? You're getting what you deserve. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Shut up and submit. That would be the McCall paraphrase. Good parents have to teach their children this. Be quiet. I do not owe you an explanation. Now there are many times you are going to explain to your kids why you're saying what you're saying. But there are times when you when you should not explain to them. Because they just need to learn how to say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and do it. And it's no different for us with God. There are many times God simply doesn't give us an explanation. He just says, do it. And we say, yes, Lord. Running away is not an option for the slave. One, it would be illegal And secondly, it would be contrary to Christ. He did not run away. Thank the Lord he didn't. Refusal to submit is rebellion. Who was the first to refuse to submit? Lucifer. The father of rebellion. And then next in line, only chronologically was Eve. God said, do not eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And she did. And then Adam, not in the least bit being deceived, also refused to submit. And we've been rebels to the core ever since. Refusal to submit is rebellion. It is a refusal to trust God. It is contradictory to the person of Jesus Christ. It is a denial of his purpose in saving us. He saved us to redeem us and to turn us from our own wicked, rebellious ways. To take a child of disobedience and make him a child of obedience. It is to rebel, to refuse to submit is absolutely inconsistent in that we would turn to Jesus for salvation, turn to Jesus for help, but then turn around and refuse to submit to the authorities that he's put into our life. is inconsistent, to say the least. It reminds me of what James says, you bless God, but turn around and curse men who have been made in the image of God. God established these authorities. But you'll go to God and say, God, I'll submit to you, but I, I'm, really, I'm not going to submit to this authority. That is a contradiction. The Bible does not either commend or condemn slavery. The Christian master is never told to cease practicing slavery. And the Christian slave is never told to overthrow his master. Peter assumes that Christian slaves will be harshly treated. It's just an assumption. You're a Christian, you're a slave, you're going to be abused. Face it. Christian slaves would probably especially be targeted by persecution by their masters, their unsaved masters. Why? One, because their goodness would be a... Point of aggravation, to say the least, for their masters. That no matter what that master does, that slave responds in righteousness, in kindness, and in goodness. It's not going to make the situation get better, at least not on the short term. It's going to make it get worse. Nobody likes living with a person who is good. Ask Jesus' brothers. We joke about that, you know. Something goes wrong in Jesus' home. And Mary goes, who did it? And everybody goes, well, it wasn't Jesus. (laughs) He never did anything wrong, right? So everybody hates Jesus because he's never wrong. He's never to blame. And his brothers hated him. So if you're a good, righteous slave with an unsaved, unrighteous man, you can pretty much expect you're going to be abused. In the church, master and slave were equal. In the church, the slave could have authority over his master. Because being an elder was not determined by whether you were free or not. So you could be a slave and be an elder in a church where there's one or more masters coming and they would be under your authority while they're in the church. Wow. We know that one of the earliest bishops of Rome was a slave. That would be hard. The Christian slave's obedience would always be first to Christ, and so the master no longer has first place. That would be hard for a master to accept. I used to be first in this man's life, and then he gave his life to Jesus, and now I'm not first anymore. Jesus feels like a threat. The master would no longer have the same power to threaten and intimidate a slave who became a Christian. What can he do to him? Causes him to suffer, and he would say, this is my privilege, to suffer for the name of Jesus. Kill him, and he would say, absent from the body, is present with the Lord. To die is gain. And so the master, in a real sense, loses all his power over the slave who becomes a Christian. And that would have been threatening to the master. The Christian slave's identity is now not non person, he is child of God. That's an elevation. So no matter how you berate him, curse him, malign him, abuse him, he knows who he is. And you can't change that. That would have been threatening to an unbelieving slave owner. So Peter knows Christians who were slaves can expect a hard life. And his admonition is still the same. Submit and show respect. Submission is the key to the Christian life. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. He also said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. We must surrender to Jesus, submit to Jesus in order to even be saved. I'm not talking about lordship, salvation, and all that. But it's understanding I cannot save myself. And only Jesus can save me. We surrender. We submit to his saving activity. We must yield to him, present ourselves over to him to be sanctified. There is no salvation and there is no sanctification apart from surrender and submission to Christ. We come under. Submission is not only the key to the Christian life, it is key to life itself. You cannot even love a person if you have not learned how to yield your will. And if you can't love, it is a miserable life. Love is dying to self. It is not insisting on your own way. It is learning to yield and to submit. There is no realm in life where we are not under authority. If you are not under authority, something is wrong. The Son of God is under authority. The Holy Spirit is under authority. And Christians at every stage of their life are under authority. Not just God's, but the authority that He places in our life. That could be government, it can be the home, it can be our bosses, it's also our church. And there is any person who is not responsive to the authority that God has placed in their life life is not going to go well because they're resisting God. They're not living in Christ, but they're quenching the Spirit who brings us to Jesus and brings us to surrender. It's not going to go well. You cannot do well in life and not learn submission and obedience. The rebel will always be in us. Always. That is why we must constantly come to Jesus. It would, it would be wrong for me to, to give the impression that we must just be obedient. Good luck with that. You can push down the rebellion and you can put on a smile and you can... It's only going to last for so long. It is the supernatural work of God to transform the rebel rebel into an obedient child of God and to obey from the heart. It is the work of God. Whether it's with a boss or in a marriage, whatever it is, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the obedient one. I am not adequate for this. Because you're talking about more than just doing what I'm told to do. You're talking about Being silent, not complaining, not trying to correct this person, not trying to protect myself, and doing it with a good attitude as unto the Lord. Jesus, I need you. We cannot do this apart from him. As I noted, there are no buts in this section of Scripture. And you would think that after verse 20, that's where Peter would say, but, but instead of doing that, he says, Jesus. So verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor should we, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, nor should any be found in ours. But he was reviled. And while being reviled for nothing that he had done, he did not revile in return. It's amazing, isn't it? When you see some child, maybe at an airport or a mall or something, that is going toe-to-toe with his parents. Man! Man! I mean, there was a couple of times when my kids saw that, and they go, "Dad, what is wrong with that kid? How come the how come that mom's not spanking him?" Good question. I bought our boys Nathan and Michael paddles for Christmas for their children. How is that? Um, Bass Pro Shop, and they're selling these little wooden oars, and they're really paddles. And I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, "That's a great paddle, five bucks, man!" And so I bought one for Michael and his boys, and I bought one for Nathan and his boys. And I'm thinking, I had to have two of these things. Where were these things when my kids were growing up? Beautiful little paddles. <laughs> So I'm talking to the man that's standing in line with me, he and his wife, never met him before, and I go, look what I'm buying for my grandchildren. <laughs> and, he, and he's laughing, and he's going, yeah, he goes, he goes, yeah, I mean, and he gets all into it, you know, and other people are giving us weird looks and things, you know, and, and, he, and he ended up buying a couple for his grandkids. Said, yeah. <laughs> and he told me, he says, you know, one day my kids came home from school, and they said, Dad, they told us in school that if you ever spank us, we can call 911. And he said, well, did they tell you that if you call 911, you won't be alive when the police show up? Now <laughs> people are really giving us looks. He was just teasing. Yeah. But why? I mean, we just go, something is wrong here for a child to butt heads like that with his parents. Something's wrong when a Christian is doing the same thing with a boss. Contending with him or her. Treating them disrespectfully. Complaining behind their back. Have we no fear of God? This is not Christ's life. This is not how Christ lived his life. And if there was ever a person who didn't deserve what he was getting, it was Jesus. No wonder Peter says, forget the butts, look at Jesus. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Healed of what? Not cancer. Not heart disease. Healed of what? Rebellion. That's what he healed us from. A rebellious heart. And now you're living in that? For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And we read guardian, we think protector. A guardian protects, but a guardian is in charge. The guardian has the authority. So it's two different words loaded with authority. Shepherd and guardian. And when we look at Isaiah 53, just amazing what Jesus did. Just going to read that verse again, just in its context. Thought I had it marked. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We were not submissive. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. What is turning to your own way? What is insisting on your will? What is the refusal to submit to what your boss says? What is it? It's iniquity. It is not your right. It is iniquity. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. There may be some buts. I'm sure there are. But I'm also just as sure in a passage like this, the Lord doesn't want us going there today. We need to let this just settle on us and not be thinking about what the exceptions might be. But come before Jesus. Jesus, am I living as you lived? Am I surrendered as you were surrendered, yielded as you were yielded? Am I grieving you, quenching you? What's on display in my life? Adam or Jesus? He has healed us of our iniquity. We celebrate that at communion. Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And that sin is rebellion. And rebellion is a refusal to submit. And now on display for all the world, for we who claim to have been healed from our iniquity is the opportunity to demonstrate in our relationships to authority that we are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our shepherd and our guardian, not the state, not our boss, but God is the shepherd and guardian of our souls. I'll close us in prayer. I thank you, God, for these words that you've given us. They cut, they get right to the issue, and they leave us no room to maneuver. It's where we need to be. And I pray, God, that as you put us against the wall and place your finger against our chest, that we would yield and allow you to reproduce in us, God, your very life that life of joyful surrender, of a trust that manifests itself in obedience, that we would put on display that we are under the authority of one who is both shepherd and guardian of our souls, and that the welfare of our souls is not dependent on authorities, bosses, government, or any other. Our souls, Lord, are tended to by you. And we thank you that in the harshest of circumstances where injustice can only be expected, that we can say, all is well with our soul. In Jesus' name, amen.